0: Hi everyone, welcome to MMA at the beginning where we talk about the early days of MMA Now the first guest I had on, I couldn't believe I got him on um, He's a hero of mine, he's an absolute legend, he's a pioneer of MMA um, He's a UFC super fight champion, he's the king of pancreas um, I could go on and on and on about this guy's credentials but we'd be here all day um, he's got a book out at the minute called The World's Most Dangerous Man, which is on his website, which is www.kenshamrock.com. Yes, I managed to get an interview with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. He's how the podcast went down. Good. Mr Shamrock, how are you? Good, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I believe you've been doing some uh, filming for Impact? Yes. Yep. Yeah, great stuff Great stuff Basically, uh, I just want to talk about the early UFCs um, Because I don't think it gets documented enough And um, I was actually in Vegas in January And uh, I was watching the McGregor and Cerrone press conference And I was talking to these guys next to me And they were like, oh, the reason I've gone to MMA is because of Conor McGregor I'm like, have you not seen any of the early UFCs? Have you not seen UFC 1? It was like, no, I was I was offended I'm not going to lie, I was offended Um. First of all, before we move on to all that, how, have you, how is everything in the States with the COVID-19? How have you been managing to sort of keep your training regime going?
1: Well, I think uh, the hardest thing for me is dealing with the media, the news. It just seems like everybody's lying. Like you can't get the truth out of anybody. It's depressing, isn't it? Yes, very. It got to the point where I've just stopped watching these live updates
0: because I just think it's just getting me down. You know what I mean? Telling me, first of all, my gigs have been cancelled, so that's depressing enough. And then obviously they're telling me that I can't go to the gym anymore. I can't (laughs) socialise. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just thinking, oh, you know. So I've stopped watching it and I feel much better.
1: Um, Everything, everything that the human race is built on, which is helping people, talking to people and caring for people, have all been thrown out the window with this COVID by saying six feet Don't talk to anybody, don't gather around and and have fun Don't do this, don't do that, don't go enjoy yourself Stay at home (laughs) I know,
0: I mean I sort of, because I've seen on a couple of things that you've said on Twitter And you sort of did spark a little, there was a few people that were going absolutely crazy with you, weren't there? And I was just like, look, if someone hasn't... See, this is the problem with Twitter, isn't it? There's so many dicks on Twitter, I'm sorry. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't have an opinion without 100 people swarming at you, you know? Everyone should be entitled to what they think. And I think when it comes to COVID, you know, when I've looked into things, I've just thought, do you know what? Obviously, if you've got underlying health conditions, yeah, stay home. But it's affecting the economy massively. And I think if people are not going to die from COVID-19, which to be fair, (laughs) you know, they're going to die of depression. They're going to bloody hang themselves, you know. They're going to die of starvation because they can't pay their bills. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, that's what I was worried about. I've seen all these gigs getting cancelled. And I was just like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go into depression. I'm going to eat myself to death. I'm going to drink too much alcohol. You know what I mean? I just thought, what am I going to do? Anyway, let's... um. Oh, what I wanted to ask you as well, you're, you you get this all the time, but you're in incredible shape. Um, Thank you. What, what has your uh, training regime been? Because obviously gyms have been closed and stuff like that. Have you been doing free weights Have you at home, or have you been doing like sort of planks and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, you know, it goes back to the old Den training in the earlier days. Um, we do squats and push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, things that you don't really need to go to the gym for, running. Um, so but the hardest thing I think for most people when they're used to going to a gym is that the the landscape has changed. It's not the same. So they kind of just they don't feel motivated uh if they're not in a gym. So that's the hard part is just motivating yourself to do stuff that you're not normally used to doing because now you know when you go to the gym, you got everything there for you that's fit, and you feel like you jump on a machine, you could do this, you can jump on a treadmill. And you don't got to go anywhere. Um, But when you're at home and there's none of that stuff, you've got to kind of find things to do, like push-ups or go to the park and do pull-ups where they've got a jungle bar. Um, Just, you know, anything that you can do to just try to stay fit. But it's really hard for people who don't have that creative mind or that that willpower to want to train. So it's really difficult right now, I think, with the way things are especially since this COVID thing has come up, it's easy for people to give up and quit. and That's something I think is dangerous.
0: Absolutely. Like I was saying earlier, it's your mental health. And I think when it comes to exercises, I mean, going back to the lion's den, I was going to talk about this at the end, but I thought whilst we're on the subject, there was um, a test to get into the lion's den, wasn't there? Cause you mentioned about squats. Like, so I actually read your book inside the lion's den when, when it, a few years ago, when it came out and, um, I mean, the criteria to get into the lion's den was crazy. I mean, I read that and I was like, I was like 18 at the time and I thought I was fit then, right? And I looked at what you needed to do to get into the lion's den and I was just like, wow. Um, would you like to remind all the listeners what, you know, what, what the criteria was to get into the lion's den?
1: Yeah, you know, really lion's den, the tryouts that we did were more based upon uh, the ability for no one to be able to do it. Um, and the idea was that uh, to get uh, the mental preparation for somebody that I wanted to train that would not quit, that would just keep going until someone said, okay, stop. Um, but in the mind, they were thinking they really had to do it. So we pushed them to a point that no human, per- nobody, no nobody's human, humanly possible could pass these tryouts with flying colors. But what we were looking for was the mental strength guys that kept getting up, that kept going, that wouldn't quit, especially at the end when you had to fight after working out for eight hours and your body's completely drained. And now you got to go in there and fight somebody who's fresh, a professional fighter and just get your butt kicked. But you had to go in and you had to keep going. That's the mentality. If I could get somebody, which it proved out to be true because we had a lot of world champions is that if I can get a mentality like that and train them, I can turn them into a world champion.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, because when I saw people coming through the lion's den, you know, because you have people like Guy Metzger, Jerry Boland and Mikey Burnett, you know, when I knew they come from your gym, which to be fair, your gym was the first official MMA gym, wasn't it? You know, because obviously yeah. you had A.K. and people like that. Now, lion's den was the first official one, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It was the very first uh, mixed martial arts or no holds barred uh, fight team. Um, so, yeah, and we were organized. So it was the first real organized team that were guys trained together. You know, they they traveled together, you know, so they cornered each other. So it was really the very first organized team. It was it was
0: crazy, actually, because I remember I was watching your fighters, you know, and you were in the corner. And I thought if I was a fighter and I could have anybody in my corner shouting at me and keeping me going, it would be Ken. I mean, I'm surprised he actually didn't scare their opponent because, I mean, I, I remember there was one point you were just like crawling around the cage, do you know what I mean? Because I don't think there was sort of rules back then to sort of say, what well, you've got to stay in this corner and you've got to stay in this corner. You were just sort of going round and you were... I think the, the most I remember you really going for it was uh, it was Metzger's first fight, I think, with Tito. Do you know what I mean? And I was just like, wow, I just love it. And, and going back to Guy actually, because he fought in UFC four, didn't he? Was he training with you then? I don't think he was, was he?
1: No, his first fight, he actually went in there and fought, but that's how we met. Uh, was that um he had actually seen me uh fight in the very first UFC and then the of course then second. Um he uh he said, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna train with that guy basically to his friends, and they all thought he was crazy. Well, um, after I met him, I invited him up because I thought he was—he had all kinds of skill, and I thought he'd be a great addition to the Lions Den team. Can he make the tryouts, though? That's the, that's the question. I didn't care how good somebody was. I just want to make sure mentally they were strong. And so when I invited him up, he did a tryout. He, plat- he passed with flying colors. Um, not too many guys do. In um, fact, is I think he, he was probably one of my strongest finishers. And uh, it showed in his career. He was very well organized. He was very um, disciplined and uh, he was very uh, skilled. So uh, he did really well with us and he uh, he carried the name very well. Brilliant, brilliant.
0: Um, but going back to the Fest UFC, um, you know, how did you find out about this? Because when you first found out about, you know, These guys are just going to be going into a cage and beating the shit out of each other. And there's literally like just three rules. You must have thought this, this, this has got to be a joke. Someone's put this up on a wall, like as a, as a joke, this can't be happening, truly.
1: Yeah, that was really my first thought because I was already fighting over in Japan in a mixed martial arts organization with, with Pancras. I was a champion. And then when I saw this thing, I was like, yeah, that's not happening. It's like it's a pro wrestling thing. Uh, Zach, one of my students at the time, told me, no, man, this it's real. And I looked at it because, he, you know, I was like, you don't know what real is. I said, this can't be real. There's no way they're going to sanction this. You can't do this stuff. Only in the movies. He goes, no, I'm telling you, man, I know. this. They're, they're saying you can go in and you can just fight. And there's, there's no rules. And they're trying to find out who the best uh, discipline is. And I was like, all right. I'll give it a shot. So I remember uh, uh, talking to Art Davies and and, uh, and and asking, you know, is this f- for real? And he goes, Oh yeah. I was like, All right, well, I wanna I wanna fight in it. And he basically said, Well, what's your background? Because I was over in Japan, nobody knew who I was. And so I said, Well, I fight in this organization over in Japan called um, the champion. Uh, he goes, Well, what is it? And I said, Well, it's you know, it's kind of a mixture between wrestling and in kickboxing and he kind of just his ears perked up um he's like what because that's what basically this event was and it had never been seen before only the gracies did, did this stuff but they didn't strike they just grappled and yeah. he, he was like okay but he didn't believe me right because nobody ever heard of it so i remember he had to do some research and you know it wasn't it was very quickly i got a call back and said you're in so uh he saw some Art Davies, along with uh, a few other people in the UFC, saw me as a a a competitive um, tool to help uh, create this world that they were looking at with Gracie coming in instead of just destroying it. But they were looking for that one guy that they thought, you know, the discipline and the and the style of fighting would match up well for a great competition. And so I think that that was what really happened there. I think some people really saw an opportunity for me to come in and, and really put, a, put some competition uh, to the Gracies, because really everybody else, they were all just strikers, and there was nobody that was going to stay standing in it's, this type of event. Yeah, it's, it's scary when you look back and you go, like if you go to an MMA
0: gym now, everyone is well-rounded everybody knows how to grapple everybody knows how to strike whereas back in the day people believed obviously before ufc1 came out my martial arts the best my martial arts the best i do taekwondo i can knock somebody out with the spinning hoop kick and then there's a judo guy going well i've got the best throws and then what i loved about this is it just proved that you need to be able to fight on the floor and i mean i remember your fit when you got interviewed after you beat pat smith Um, And this is how was how was this for you? Like, you know, as opposed to fighting in Japan. everyone (laughs) Yeah, you said easier. And they were like, why? He was like, because he did no submission, you know. And I do remember as well on the commentary, there was Kathy Long. Obviously, she was well kickboxing champion, along with Bill the super foot Wallace. Who, I mean, he was a badass in his time. I mean, he had a roundhouse kick that was 60 miles an hour, you know? Yeah. And and when I remember you talking about this once in an interview, and they didn't know what the move was that you got him in. Obviously, we know it was, was it a heel hook you got him with. It was a heel hook, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think what was it? They said, oh, he got him in like a footlock or something. Like Yeah,
1: they were
0: confused about what it was. And yeah. I mean you can clearly tell that Pat Smith had never fought any grappler before because he didn't know what you would do, and he was obviously trying to axe kick her in the head when you were sort of in the position to get the heel hook on. And um, I mean, I've never seen someone tap with both hands in so much pain. It's like it's like he was trying to put the mat through. He was like this, wasn't he, to tap when you when you got with that submission? The point
1: so, um, thing, <laughs> the the thing on that was, but just before we started the fight, they put up on this big screen. Patrick Smith says, I feel no pain. <laughs> he certainly did, didn't he? I mean, God, he clearly
0: hasn't been submitted by someone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, it, it was actually, I mean, I don't mean to sound awful, but it was quite funny to, to see someone learn the reality of submission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so then obviously after you fought Pat Smith, you must have been on a confidence boost. You must have thought, well, obviously, Hoist Gracie knows how to grapple. I am in the... It's probably the best shape of your life at the time You know, I'm a lot stronger than him, clearly This is a guy, you know, he's probably, he's a judo-esque type guy But obviously at the time you didn't really Because i seen when you, fought, when you fought him, you were going for a leg lock at the time And he right. sort of manipulated you and that's when he used his own gi to get you in the choke um, yeah. What was going through your mind before the first ever hoist Gracie fight?
1: Yeah, I, I was pretty confident I was going to win the whole thing. The only one I thought that um, had a shot against me when it was a very small shot was Gerard Godot, uh, because I knew him from Japan and I knew he's a great striker. But I knew that all I got to do is get him to the ground and game's over. Um, so that's who I thought I would be fighting and going into fight voice, I I studied him, but. I never really fought anybody that had wore a gi or being able to use a gi like that, where he literally just wrapped my arm in his gi when I went to sit back. And normally I'm really strong and I was able to, even guys that are my size, I'm able to break their arms apart and they can't do anything to me. Well, yeah, when yeah. you do know, a gi, the gi is like, I mean, it, there's, you're not going to rip the gi. You're not going to outpower the gi. And uh, so that really was an eye opener for me going into that was that that was one of my first experiences of of a humble pie, because I really walked in there believing there's no way this guy could beat me. Uh, and I didn't study it. I didn't really go into depth on how that ghee worked and, and what that ghee did for somebody that was not as strong as I was. Uh, it equalized strength. And things that I would normally have advantage over, it took that away. And so best basically somebody as good as Hoyce was. Um, and I think this is what gets lost is that Hoyce had 25, 23 to 25 years of experience in in the jiu-jitsu system, along with probably 50 plus years with his family in this type of fighting. Yeah. And so going into this thing, everybody looked at me, and even into our rivalry everybody looked at me as being comparable to him. Like I was the guy that could beat him and I was, but what they didn't realize was that I had two and a half years of experience as a professional fighter and Hoyt had all of that experience behind him. And right from the get go, I was fighting an uphill battle, not only with the rule changes and the family running the organization, but also with the skill sets. I was nowhere near their skill sets. I was just a great athlete and had great athletic ability, and I was a fighter. And that's that's basically all I had. And do what I did in that time. If you were to look at it from 30,000 feet up and see where I came from and see the experience that I had. And then you look at Hoist and, and of course, lying about his weight. You know, he was one inch taller than me. His shoulders were wider than mine. He put a gi on and he was thinner, but he was taller. His shoulders were wider and he was only 10 pounds lighter than me. So it wasn't a huge uh, weighted yeah. difference. Someone Something. with that, yeah. Someone so, with that skill up there, 10 pounds is nothing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, and especially with the gi, when you're talking about the right. gi and you know, someone knowing how to use it, someone not knowing how to use it. Um, and again, like I said, nothing. Uh, uh, I mean, Hoist fought a tremendous fight. He did what he had to do to win, but... For me, it was really a, an experience where it was humbling because I realized that there was more out there than what I was doing when, when it came to the stand-up and the ground fighting and stuff, that there was a whole lot more um, uh, sports and a whole lot more disciplines out there than what I uh, was doing, and that could be comparable to what I was doing. And so that's when I really started opening my mind up and started learning everything.
0: So after that fight with Hoist then, did you think, do you know what, I'm going to learn some Gracie Jiu-Jitsu along with the stuff that I was also learning when I was fighting in Japan?
1: Yeah, it actually went down to, to Los Angeles. Me and um, Funaki Suzuki, uh, some of the Japanese representatives, we actually uh, flew from Japan after one of our fights together and we all went down to L.A. and we rolled with Machados. Uh, so we had experience and started to understand this discipline and system And it did well for me for my second fight
0: Yeah I, Yeah I can imagine I mean because I remember when I, I saw Hoyce Use the gi to his advantage and Because uh, I used to train in a gym in Hartley But I still do occasionally Um I'll go maybe once every other month Because I'm on the road all the time normally And I remember I said to John the instructor I went Hoyce Gracie uses his gi to, to choke people because I was doing judo at the time as well, I says I'm gonna I'm gonna come next week and I'm gonna wear my gi when we spar. So I put my gi on right, and he literally just pulled it over my head and kneed me in the in the solar plexus. He was like, mm-hmm. "You've got to know what you're doing." Do you know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can't just rely on. Well, I mean, I think I was like an orange belt at judo at the time as well. Do you know what I mean? But isn't it crazy how things can inspire you when you've seen it? Um, yeah,
1: it's, it's different too when you're learning the gi too. It's, like it, it, it's you don't want to wear it if you don't know how to use it. So but wow. at the same time, when when uh, Hoist and I were were having our little rivalry, I think the one thing that that, uh, that I think that people need to understand is that Hoyce Gracie and the system that Hoyce Gracie is doing, and a lot of people try to give that credit, but it's not. They try to say that the system that we see in the No Holes Bar today is what Hoyce brought in. And I think to myself, okay, where did Hoist's kickboxing come in? How does that equate to what he does? And, and that everybody fights from the top and the bottom now, not just from the bottom. And that's where Hoist fought, was on the bottom. So how does that equate? If you really it, yeah. look at the system and you break it down, it's the system I brought in. It's the striking. It's the elbows. It's the knees. It's the takedown. Yeah. It's the catch wrestling on the ground. That is what people are using. So it just—it seems like a lot of this stuff in marketing and and uh, and and people that don't remember that the jujitsu system that people say that they're learning isn't jujitsu. Catch wrestling.
0: No. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Well, I mean, I tell you, it was a prime example of that. Is khabib that just proves that it stands the test of time. I mean, the thing is with khabib, you watch him fight, and you just think, you know what he's gonna do. You know he is going to get hold of your legs. He's going to either lift you up, he's going to take you to the floor, and he's just going to absolutely punish you and talk to you at the same time, which would probably piss you off even more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, and and obviously the Lions Den was the best, well-rounded gym. Obviously, when you were bringing into the, you know, obviously there was Muay Thai mixed in there, and you were saying about Gerard Godot when you watched him strike in UFC one, you'd be watching him going. That is neat. That is sharp. The way he's throwing those punches, this guy, and and it was it was interesting because I was going to ask you how you, how you think you would have done against him, but you've obviously answered my question. You said you probably would have had a hard time uh, on the feet, but obviously once you got him on the ground, it would have been a piece of cake. So, um, moving on to UFC two, then, um, did you get asked to do UFC two? Because I, I, if I remember rightly, you you obviously went in UFC
1: two. Yeah, just to be clear on that. Um... With, with Gerard, because I want to give him credit where credit's due, is yeah. that you asked me how I think I would have done. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I I, I, I would have been able to, it would have been a piece of cake on the ground. But the key is oh, getting him yeah. getting to the ground, because I'd have been a piece of cake to him standing up. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I love about you is your honesty, you know.
0: Um, so, yeah, sorry, going back on to UFC 2, um, were, were, you, were, were you wanting to compete in UFC 2? What happened? I'm sure you must have got asked
1: yeah, I actually broke my hand. Right, um, I was supposed to fight, and I ended up breaking it in training, and uh, so I was out for a few few weeks actually in UFC four or five something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, but um, I I didn't get to come back until later, just because I broke my hand and I had commitments in Japan uh, that I had to fulfill also. So I didn't right. get back to it later on. But once I did, um, I was really I was able to really. Uh, show people what they wanted to see because I know I was a fan favorite after the first one. People were excited to see me f- face Hoist. So when I came back for the second fight, I put everything into it and I ended up in the finals and then of course, you know, everybody knows Hoist couldn't continue uh, in that yeah. time. And that's where I was going to ask you, because
0: obviously I know you beat Christoph Leininger, who was, you know, really uh, excellent judoka. And then you beat Felix Lee Mitchell. I think it was with a rear naked choke, didn't you, in the semi-finals? And then, um, so th- there was talk, right? I've spoken to a few guys in the gym and we were having this discussion. I thought, right, I'm going to get this from the horse's mouth from Ken. Um, when you fought uh, in UFC 3, were you actually injured, or didn't you want to fight because of the fact that Hoist wasn't in the final with you?
1: Yeah, I wasn't injured um, at all. Um, wow. Was, I, was, I wanted Hoist. And um, when I didn't get Hoist, they had some guy from Canada. Harold Howard, who- yeah. Harold Howard and then uh, some other guy who was the alternate that stepped in with me, right? Me, Jenham. I mean, me, can you yeah. imagine? Yeah, can you imagine so, going in there as an alternate
0: when all these guys have been working their balls off throughout, you know, for the whole night to get to the final, and he just comes in and wins it? What was it, hundred thousand dollars, something like that? Yeah, but it,
1: it to me it was it was it it for me to go in and fight Harold Howard. In the finals i mean i think it's pretty clear and again it's just speculation because anything can happen but on paper there's no way i, I even sweat trying to beat yeah me. i thought that
0: that's exactly so, what i thought
1: i just felt like man i wasn't here for the money although money's always an issue all you always want to make money but i went there for one reason because i was embarrassed i literally went the fought boys and he choked me with this gi and i didn't prepare and I was mad at myself for not going in and doing the things I should have done, uh, and taking it for granted. And it was taken. It was take my. I, I got. I got beat, and I literally was upset about that. And everything that my whole world evolved around, even when I fought over in Japan, was I wanted Hoist. I needed to get back in the ring with Hoist. It's the only way I could fix this. And so I get that opportunity. They give me that shot, and I get in there, and I win both of my fights against some pretty good uh, talent. I get there. And all Hoist's got to do is go in and beat guys that he should be, and he doesn't yeah. do it. And so my, I literally lost all the will to fight. I was just like, I didn't come here to win money. I didn't come here for anything other than to fight Hoist Gracie. It was your pride, wasn't it? I suppose more than anything. Yeah. You know?
0: And and obviously Hoist got um post got injured by chemo that was the first time we saw chemo I mean when I saw that I was like wow this guy's coming down and he's got this big cross I'm like mate, you're gonna tire yourself out before the fights even started doing yeah. stuff like that. you know but I think it was a shoulder injury wasn't it that the um no. I, I was
1: not a shoulder injury what was it he was exhausted is that what it was yes wow wow he, I don't know if he some something was happening to him he he either didn't I don't know what it was, but he was because of the fight with with Kimo. He had just wore himself out, and his body wasn't functioning properly. And so he he he, because he walked to the ring, and he went in there. And I fought with a whole lot worse. I mean, I fought with uh, an actual torn ACL. I wow. still because I was I had already I'd been there. I'm not I'm not going to back out. I'm going to go in and see whether I can beat the guy with two arms, and one leg. I That's yeah. just that's just me, though. If I'm in a tournament, I'm not backing out unless it's something that I know I can't do with, like, for instance, a broken hand. That's something that you can't win with, right? No. But even a- when I- grab
0: it, Yeah. Even when you're on top mountain, stuff like that, you're still, you still, your hand's going to hit the floor when you're trying to do a transition or something like that, you know?
1: Grabbing all of it. But an ACL is something that, I feel like even in my career, I fought through it because it's as long as you don't blow it out, tear tendons, any of that stuff, you can wrap it, wear a brace, do whatever you got to do to keep it stable because you can still move. So, I mean, that's extreme. I wouldn't suggest it, but that was my mentality. And then to see Hoyce get tired, like literally he just got, um, he was drained and he had no nutrients or supplements or whatever it was that was able to keep him focused enough to be able to go in and fight. Yeah. But he walked to the ring and then he threw in the towel uh, instead it of did. I was just, surprised. To, yeah. just to get paid. I mean, it wasn't anything other than for him to enter the ring, allow um, Harold Howard to go to the finals without having to fight somebody to get there. If he would have yeah. just found out, knowing he wasn't going to fight, allow somebody else to fight Harold Howard. So when he got to the finals, you know, he earned his way there. He didn't have to get a forfeit. And to me, yeah. I thought that was that was uh, really a poor, poor way. And I also think that they thought I was going to be in the finals. And so by him going in there and throwing in the towel, it gave him a fresh uh, start into the finals. Even though I don't care if he could, I could have fought three fights that night, and I think I still would have beat Harold Howard. He doesn't have the oh, skills. Would have done. I mean. He was a he
0: said that he'd done jujitsu, but I think it was traditional jiu-jitsu, wasn't it? That he was doing. I don't think it was anything that was, you know, no one else. I think it was all the sort of like aikido wrist lock jujitsu and all that type of stuff that he was doing, wasn't it? And um, one question I'd love to ask you, Ken, is when I looked at the UFC three uh, tournament, uh, Keith Hackney fought uh, Emmanuel Yarbrough. Now, obviously, I think fighting someone like Emmanuel Yarbrough, who was like 600 pounds. If you're a striker and that's your sort of forte, I think that would probably be the best way to, to beat somebody like um, Emmanuel Yarbrough. Now, I know that you're a well-rounded fighter, but at the time, I think your, your grappling was, was the strongest. Am I right in saying yeah, that? Yeah. So yeah, how I would you have fought grappling. somebody? Yeah. So how would you have, uh, what strategy would you have had going in to fight somebody like Emmanuel Yarbrough?
1: Yeah, I would have leg kicked them. Leg kicked him. Leg-kicked him. Yes, as he's coming in front kicks to the leg, leg kicks, and then hit him with some punches to get him off balance. Because sooner or later, he's going to get tired and slow down. It'll be easier to get him to the ground. But I think no. that the best way with somebody like that, because they're not fast, no. is you just throw leg kicks, leg kicks, their hands drop, throw a right-hand, left hook, keep moving, till so he can't go no more. Because you you don't want to get on the bottom. <laughs> Well,
0: Exactly, yeah I mean, I suppose it's exactly like when uh, Marco Huas fought Paul Valens Wasn't it, you know He chopped right. him down like a tree And then eventually you could see I mean, obviously Paul Valens was a tough guy I mean, you know, he was what, 6'6", six, six, 350 pounds Something like that You Stupid. know, and eventually his, his legs just give in Yeah um, So yeah, uh, moving on to UFC 5 Obviously talking about We've spoken about Hoist quite a lot, haven't we, to be honest Um, Moving on to UFC 5 Hoist Gracie, the super fight Now this is something everybody wanted to see. Um, how uh, how do you feel about how that fight went? Because personally, if I'm going on looking at people's faces after the fight, you clearly won by unanimous decision. Um, the Gracies clearly had a lot of say in that fight um, when they actually went into the overtime. Um, because you were obviously on the floor. You were in his guard for quite a long time. But the fact that you know how, you know, Good this guy's submissions are and how skillful he is. You know, I thought you played it perfectly because you were just waiting, you were hitting him with body shots in the You weren't giving him anything. So for them to say it's a draw, um, there must have been questions and speculation after that all went down and says, Come on, we've got to have judges in this. But at the time they knew that clearly they must have knew that Hoyce lost.
1: Yeah, I, I think that. If, and when you look at a fight, and not all the time, if it's close, you, you know, it's different. But if you look at a fight, I mean, you should be able to tell who won. I mean, Absolutely. that's as clear as it is, right? I mean, that's what you really want to see unless a guy gets knocked out by a lucky punch because the guy's getting beat up and he throws a wild punch and he takes him down. He's losing the whole fight. Uh, most of the time, you're going to be able to look at the fight at the end of the fight and go, he lost. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's what
0: that was... Come on, I know this is an exaggerated analogy, right? But if that was in the school playground and there was a group of people around and it was Heis and, and they saw Hoyce's face after that, they would clearly know who won the fight. Do you know what I mean? Because then obviously you fought again uh, later on. Um, now I saw that fight, and if I'm honest with you, Ken, because I'm a huge fan of yours, I was devastated for you because I sort of thought, was I scared because? If you look at his skill set, obviously, you you know, you were saying two and a half years of experience you had to his, you know, 18, 19 years that he had, you've clearly caught up to him with regards to skill. You're stronger than him. You're a better striker than him. When he needs you, and obviously you couldn't continue, well, obviously he needs you, and then he started hitting you, and the ref stopped it, you know? Obviously, they should have stopped the fight with a groin strike and then got you back fighting again. I heard you say to him after that, you've done that on purpose.
1: Right. You think he did? Well, I do. I want to go back a little bit too. When you talk about the the second fight and uh, the experience in that, I think people need to realize going into a fight that they all said that I was in his garden. I didn't do anything, and I thought to myself, why would someone say that on their side when you're looking at it and go, where is your wheelhouse? Where do you do most of your damage at? In the guard. They want you in their guard. But what they want you to do is they want you to pass the guard because then you open up more submissions for them to be able to attack you with. So in my mind, I said I don't have the skill sets to go hand-to-hand with him in movement. I just don't have the experience. So the only way I'm going to beat this guy is by turning the, 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 the game plan around on them and say, you move. I'm not going to move. I'm just going to beat on you, headbutt you, knee you in the butt, and make you move like you do with your heel things to try to get the guy to move in the guard. So, all I did was take the game plan that they were trying to use on me and I flipped it and used it on them. But when yeah. I did that, I wasn't fighting. I didn't come to fight. So, yeah. it makes sense. Like, all I was doing was doing using the same game plan that you were going to use on me. Absolutely. So, that's all that was. So, and I ended up beating them at it at their own game plan. I beat them at it. You did. Uh, going, into, going into the third fight. <clears throat> I truly believe Royce knew that they, they, uh, this was different. This fight was different. Um, I, I, di- I wasn't inexperienced. I wasn't the, the young guy on the block anymore that could go with him. Um, you know, he had been bigger. He was 195 pounds. I weighed 202 pounds, even less this time. So his weight was the same weight division. We go in there, and my whole game plan was to just knock his ass out. And so I was going to cut the ring off on him, wait for him to slow down, because I knew he'd be wild. I knew he'd be all running all over the place because he was going to be nervous and scared. Yeah. And so I knew he'd be running all over the place. and So I slowly, methodically cut the ring off on him. Till I got him into a clinch and then I was going to throw uppercuts and then I was going to throw a right hand and then I was just going to start beating on him and wearing him down. Unfortunately, the minute I threw an uppercut, he throws a knee, hits me right in the groin and I had a steel cup on. And because if I hadn't had a cut steel cup on, I'd have went down like a sack quick. But Absolutely. because I had the steel cup on, it radiated. Like it literally radiated, vibrated through my whole groin until it went into my gut. I felt like I was going to throw up and that's why I folded like that was because I was trying to fight the pain and it eventually just took my wind away. I couldn't fight anymore. And that's when I dropped. Uh, and then of course, you know, he's hitting with these punches (laughs) that were like, like, Yeah. yeah, But I'm looking up at the as he's hitting me. I'm looking at the referee screaming at him. He hit me in the nuts. Yeah, he hit me in the nuts trying to get him to let me up. And instead, he stopped the fight.
0: Yeah,
1: kidding me? You didn't see
0: that? Yeah. I mean, after that, did you say to him, "Can we have another rematch?" I mean, was he up for another rematch, or was it just after that he was like, "I'm not interested"?
1: I said. I, I told him. I said we. I didn't even when I was standing in the ring when he stopped the fight. My honest thought was that he was getting us up because it was to me it was obvious, and that he was letting me rest. But then yeah. all of a sudden he brought us to the center, and I was like, "What is he doing?" I thought it was he was going to call it a no contest, like we would go back and do it again. And I was like, "So I didn't." I'm thinking, "Wow, why don't they just yeah. let me rest?" Like in my mind, it's what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking fight's over at all.
0: Yeah, and he, yeah.
1: And then he raises both of our hands, and I was like, "Damn." I got to go do this again. I got to go train. I got to get prepared again. He raised, cause he raised both of our hands and yeah. then he drops mine and says, by, <laughs> by knockout, and I was like, Oh, what? That, that must've infuriated you. I didn't know until they actually raised his hand that they were awarding him the fight. I literally was confused. Like what, what just happened?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, going back to UFC 5 We never saw Hoist Gracie fight again in the UFC Until he fought Matt Hughes um, no. So, I mean, after that fight at UFC 5 Did you want to rematch with him within that time? Because obviously you were keeping going I mean, this was when you became super fight champion at UFC 6 When you beat Dan Seven with that guillotine If I'm honest with you, right That is the most brutal guillotine choke I have ever seen Because not only... I mean, a guillotine choke is painful anyway but when the, he was sat, like the way he was sat and the way you pull his head forward like this, I was like, his head's going to fall off. I mean, he tapped like Pat Smith tapped with the ankle lock. He was, he was like this, wasn't he? You know, hitting the mat. Um, you know, um, when you went in to fight Dan Seven, I mean, Dan Seven was walking through everyone at the time. I think he just won the ultimate, ultimate 95, didn't he?
1: Yes. Yeah, he was definitely he was the best. He was, and literally, I was the underdog. Even though I was the one he was challenging, and I was, I was the underdog, and I kept thinking to myself, "How is he gonna? Be, why am I? How is he gonna beat me? Is he gonna wrestle me to death? Because he ain't gonna outstrike me, and he's not gonna no. beat me. So how is he gonna beat me?
0: Yeah, because what I found with Dan Seven as well, the way he fought is he never really finished anybody, did he? He was. You know, the only way he ever finished someone really was with basic submissions. You know, like an arm triangle or something like that, or it would just be like just repeated strikes. Um, suplex, and
1: just, suplexing them, you know. All yeah, over I
0: the mean, mean when do he do that suplex, yeah, I mean, he suplexed Anthony Macias at UFC four. I mean, yeah. me, Anthony Macias was like half of his weight. It was like it was like me playing wrestling with my little brother. Do you know what I mean? It was like crazy how we've done that. But um, so when you went in into fight down seven. How confident were you when you went into that fight? Because obviously, you know, submissions-wise, he had nothing on you.
1: Right. I was really confident. I just couldn't see a way I could lose because I was in good shape. Uh, I could wrestle. And and even if he out-wrestled me, there was no way he was going to be able to, to outmaneuver me in the submission game. And it wasn't going to out-condition me. Um, so I just I felt... I I just didn't understand how the odds were being set up where I was the underdog because I was like, he doesn't have any of the skill sets to actually beat me. So how is he going to win? And so going into that, Matt, I was very, very very confident, but not like I had been when I fought Hoist, you know, where I didn't study and understand how I could be beat. Um, So I was very educated on who Severn was and what his strengths and weaknesses were. And that's how I went after him. Was in his weaknesses with his head because he shot in like a wrestler, and so I took advantage of that that uh, mistake that he made a couple times. And so, but I just never never really saw an opportunity for him to actually beat me. And in fact, I remember after I would beaten him, uh, even years after that, he complained about me being on steroids, and I laughed at him and I said, "You're complaining because I put on some weight." I went up to 227 pounds and you weigh 260 pounds and you're 6'4 and I'm 5'11 and yeah. you're complaining that I put on weight to be able to make this thing a little bit even? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. I mean, isn't that it? makes sense.
0: Yeah. But it's crazy because I remember you talking. It was on. Um, what was that show that Bass Rooting and Kenny Rice used to host? MMA. You were talking about You were talking about the drug testing. Because, I mean, the way you SADA are now, I just feel that there. It's a bit too much. I mean, have you seen a documentary? It's called Game Changers about the vegan diet and everything. Yes. I was watching that, right? And these athletes were saying, I've gone vegan. You know, I'm, I'm the best I've ever been at my sport. And I thought it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if you SADA went... I'm sorry, but I'm testing you. You tested positive for sweet potato fries. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, you (laughs) know, you know. I'm sorry, but you, you know, you haven't passed the drug test. We're going to strip you from your title. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I remember you saying on that show, you just said, "Look, fuck it, let everybody take them." You know
1: what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I felt like you know, there's a safe level that people can do. It's like a race car engine. I mean, you're blowing your. You're literally. Every time that you go to train for a fight, is you're blowing your engine at a high pace. I mean, you're literally hitting it hard all the time. Therefore, you've got to be able to recover. You've got to have your body able to recover and keep doing it the next day. And so, for me, I think that there's a healthy way to do it, and I always have thought that that there is a healthy way to do it. You can't tell me that the sports that we the sports that we know today it doesn't include. Enhancements. It does in every sport. It's just that they've learned how to do it safer. They've learned how yeah. to make it more of a opportunity for people to be healthy and be able to compete at their highest level, their highest natural level, without yeah. going in and looking like something that you know you're going in there and you're getting tired and you can't keep up with everyone because that's what it'll do when you don't do it the right way. So for me, having a doctor. And being able to have a doctor monitor what it is you're doing, it allows you to be able to compete for many years after and be able to stay healthy and not get into a situation where you're hurting yourself.
0: Yeah, because I mean I know I know guys who um well last time I was training, actually, it was one of the lads. Um he was like that, and then I saw him in training again, and he was built. And uh, we were in the clinch and we were just wrestling, and we were in the clinch, and I went, these Diana balls have clearly helped you, haven't they? <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't right. taken anything, I haven't taken. I was like, of course you haven't, But <laughs> that is the difference with that, right? Is this guy, you know, he goes out, he drinks, you know, does other things. And I thought that's not the way to do it. You know what I mean? If you're gonna do it, monetize it, like you said, because Hulk Hogan was doing exactly the same, you know. He he had a doctor, you know, examining how he was taking them. Um, you know, so like you say, there is a correct way of doing it. And I think you, Sada. Now, I, I just think it is. I mean, what, what, what are your views on you, Sada? You probably think the same as I do with regards to you know they're, they're getting a bit stupid with the testing.
1: It, it is because I, um, you know, there's that. I know at one time they were allowing the TRT, and I thought that was a really smart thing because it is about um, the athletes being able to stay healthy. Uh, and be able to compete day in and day out because it's a career. It's not something that you're doing in college or high school. It's a career, and so therefore you got to make sure that your body's able to, especially when you get injuries, which is really important to yeah. recover quick. And so I think when it's done in that situation, like the TRT, um, uh, I, I think that 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 was the smart way to go because I I know a lot of other sports, uh, the big sports, allow guys. Uh, certain, um, uh, grievances in that where it's, it's okay as long as you're within a certain amount of, uh, of, of, uh, growth. Um, so again, uh, it is a, it's a sensitive, uh, talk because a lot of people who on the outside looking in don't understand how it works or because a lot of people just say he's on steroids and you're looking at him and you're going, uh, what, what, what are you talking about? What, what is a steroid?
0: Because a lot Man. of them all
1: put the same stuff in the same basket. When you're talking about growth hormone, when you're talking about sipionate, ithionate, propionate, all these things that you naturally already have in your body, all you're doing is putting in there, especially when you get an injury or when you're training, is to keep those levels elevated at a normal level. You don't allow them to drop off because that's when injuries happen. That's when you get tired. That's when other things start to happen. And also when you talk about sex drive, a lot of people use this stuff when it comes to the sex part of it because people's testosterone are low. So they are not able to really have a very quality life of a relationship with with a woman or a man because things have dropped. So even in estrogen for women. So there's a lot of stuff that they use that for to help the body actually recover and be able to form at a natural level. So when people say that, I look at them and I just I know that they're uneducated about what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah. It's crazy because I mean these are people generally on Twitter. Sorry, Twitter, people on Twitter like really, you can see the get my goat because a lot of people don't really know what they're talking about. I mean a lot of people I've spoken to um sorry some people I've spoken to have said things like um yeah well you know because they look at the obviously the WWE roster and they say Oh, well, he's clearly on steroids. I'm like, yeah, well, he probably is. But have you seen how much he has to bench press? Have you seen how much he has to shoulder press to be in that shape? Do you know what I mean? Like, people just
1: don't understand. Well, they're on the road, I mean, half their life, and they got to be in gyms, and they're wrestling four times a week, and their bodies are getting beat up. So, a lot, like I said, it's people that are standing on the outside looking in are the ones that are talking because um, they don't understand what it is that they're going through and what they're doing. There are some of them that abuse it, no question. But I see a lot of people who look at me and go, man, you're, you're, you're abusing. You know what, man, I'm 56 years old. I still look good. Do you think if I would have started this when I was in my teens or in my young twenties, that I would still be able to have the reaction that I have now when I'm in training in the gym, if I abused steroids my whole life, I, yeah. ask, I really ask any doctor or anybody that knows anything about the steroids, is that when you're on long uses of that stuff, years and years of it, your yeah. body looks like it's a hundred years old. Do yeah. I look like a hundred years old? No, because I never abused it.
0: No, no, and that's the thing. I mean, if you did abuse the steroid, because obviously, um, you you hear with with WWE wrestlers. At a time when it was used heavily There was people abusing it That's why they were dropping down dead heart attacks When they were like 40 odd years years old But not only that They were mixing other things with it Like I was saying earlier on about some people I know You know, they, they were on bloody cocaine They were on uh, drinking alcohol They were just, you know That's when you have the concoction of everything um, Quickly move, sorry, quickly moving on Ken Before we go And thank you so much for your time Having you as a guest on the first one Hopefully it will get the ball rolling to get more guests on this because this has been a dream come true for me. It really has. Um, Moving on to, uh, we'll quickly go to UFC 7 when you fought Oleg Taktarov. That was another draw. Did that frustrate you when after the fight with Hoist Gracie at UFC 5 that they hadn't done anything really um, about the judging
1: system? Yeah, yeah. It did, but uh, that one was squarely on me. Um, you know, I had trained with Oleg in the gym, and I was able to just knock him into to the next world. In fact, he even says it in my new book coming out. Um, but again, like I said, I, I should have been able to go in and destroy him. I did not, again, uh, another one in my career where I felt like I went in there and I didn't go in to actually win the fight. Um, <clears throat> I was too worried about business. I was too worried about knowing him and wanting him to compete in Pancras for the Lions Den. And so when I went in to fight him, my idea was just to kind of beat him, like not go in and try to submit him because he wouldn't tap. I'd break his leg. Therefore, he wouldn't be able to... um, And I was just trying to go in there and actually win the fight. And I remember hitting him, trying to knock him out um, because I knew at least that way he'd be able to fight in Pancras with no injuries and just knock him out. he'd He'd go fight again. But he had a strong chin, too. Like, I knocked him out twice in the fight, and then I hit him again, and I woke him up. So, he was a tough character. But again, like, when I fought that fight, I did not – I truly did not go in there to win the fight at any cost. I went in there to try and win the fight um, the easiest way. And so, So, that one was on me. Oleg put on a good fight. Oleg went out and did his best. But again, like I said with me, I just didn't go in and do what I knew I should have been able to do. It was – that was one of my other letdowns.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And moving on to UFC 8 as well. I was surprised actually that they had Chemo fighting you in a super fight because the last time Chemo fought was when he fought Hoist Gracie. Obviously, um, people were saying he hurt Hoist Gracie. Um, but obviously, like you said, it was the exhaustion. That's the reason Hoist Gracie couldn't continue. But prior to the fight that you had with Chemo, he actually beat Pat Smith twice in different organizations, and I actually didn't know that until I looked it up because I was thinking, you know, why would they put chemo? So chemo was it to fight? I mean, what, what did you think about chemo uh, fighting you in the super fight? Do you think he deserved that
1: shot at you? Yeah, I thought it was a great, uh, actually a good matchup. Uh, it, it, there's um, some history there. Um, he had been uh, training a lot longer because, like when I fought him, he had no experience, you know, so. Uh, he what he did to hoist was, was tremendous he pushed him um, he did. and he had no experience like he had no submission skills He was basically a street fighter so he came in raw and did and put on a good showing now he's training with Jujitsu players he's training with striking so now he's much better and his size and his strength uh is comparable to mine and yeah. so i thought it was a great matchup it was a test for me um and uh so but look. Luckily for me, um, he dropped his head, and I was able to land the knee because otherwise I think the night could have been a lot different. I think it might have been a tougher fight. We could have probably gone later into the into the fight, and I think I still would have won just because I thought my conditioning was better. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that he could have probably done a lot more damage to me um, because he was big and strong, and his skill sets were a lot better. I just happened to get lucky early on and be able to take him out without taking any damage.
0: Yeah, that was the second fight that you had with him, wasn't it? When you when you were in the clinch and you hit him with the knee. Um yes. but I mean you got him I mean you got him with a lovely knee bar, didn't you, in the um in the first fight that you had with him at UFC eight. Um yeah. he was real, like I said,
1: he was very inexperienced. So but when I fought him the second time, he was definitely a well rounded fighter and 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 I knew he'd be much tougher. So like I said, it was the a gift from God because I, I think that fight, if not that didn't happen, I think we would have been in for a, a, a rough night. Yeah, yeah. But then that just goes to show what we were talking
0: about at the beginning uh, of this interview, um, about your mental state, and that's what you were drumming into the guys at the Lions' Den. And and going back to UFC 3, when Hoist Gracie gave up because he was exhausted, if he'd have had that training on top of his jiu-jitsu, he probably could have carried maybe carried on uh, in that tournament, you know? Um, sure. Finally, Ken, moving on to UFC 9, uh, Dan Seven, um, well, there was all sorts going on before that, wasn't there? I mean, there was all kinds of politics going on. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah,
1: the one we went to Dothan. Yeah, that's when, yeah. Yeah, we had to pack up and we had to fly out. It was crazy because it was like this 24 7, like next thing you know, we're here. And then 24 hours later, we got to jump on a plane and fly somewhere else. It was crazy. And. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't actually fight on that card. But um, I know Jerry Bolander and a few other guys did. And that was tough to get people prepared and fight uh, in a quick notice like that. Uh, And again, it was during that time where every time we went somewhere, there was a political battle. So it was rough. It was a rough go um, all the way through the UFC until Bob Meyer was actually sold it because he was he was losing money and constantly in battle. Um, So it was it was. For fighters and for the organization, it was really a really a tough time to have to go through these things because I was like the face of the organization at that time. And and I was constantly doing interviews and defending ourselves on what we were doing. Yeah. Cause I remember when I first saw um,
0: you know, when I first found out about UFC, it was I was I saw it on the news. And that was when Keith Hackney dropped Emmanuel Yarbrough with that open hand strike, you know, and they were like, This needs to be banned. And I was I was about eight, nine year old at the time. I was like, no, this is brilliant. Where can I see this? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so fair play for him to to try and save the organization because obviously, and before that, UFC nine as well. Didn't you get told that you weren't allowed to punch? And if you and if you did punch, you got arrested. And Dan seven punched you how many times in that fight? Yeah, and, that was crazy. yeah, and, and he I, never saw. Yeah, and he never saw a jail cell, did he? You
1: know, mm, so no. Wow, but man. they did the week before. They did the week before in Canada, which was just over the bridge. Guys got arrested, and that's why I chose not to because I saw what happened the week before was they did arrest yeah. guys. So I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to – I can't do that because no. i got a group on with kids, and I'm telling them, yeah, you stay within the rules, you can achieve whatever you want. So it was – you know, I had a lot of responsibility to do the right thing there, and so I did. I did.
0: Yeah. Well, that just goes to show, Ken. Not only are you a legend of an MMA fighter – uh, you've also you're also a man who's got morals and you're a gentleman and this has been incredible thank you so much for coming on and uh, it'd be great to catch up with you again
1: sometime thank you so much Hey listen I appreciate you man and um, good luck man good luck bless you thank you so much take care.